at the current time, like right now, I mean, we're literally about to touch autonomous farming and they haven't even solved the issues with where to store the data, who stores it, how safe is it, you know, like, is it encrypted at rest? Like, none of this stuff was taken into consideration. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. We're moving right into our main story today, which is about agriculture. And no, that's not a mistake for our cybersecurity podcast. It is instead a glimpse into just how connected our world has become. For many listeners at home, the rapid transition to smart devices has been in full view. Smart speakers, smart thermostats, even smart fridges surround us every day. And interestingly, this same transition to smart technology has been happening in agriculture. Today's modern tractors can be preset with tons of data. Users can input latitude and longitude and heading. They can input boundaries for what areas on a farm a tractor should avoid. They can tell the tractor what type of crop is being planted, and they can share farming data with one another and with the tractor's manufacturer in case of an error. All of these capabilities require internet connectivity. And as usual, wherever there is connectivity, there is likely room for exploitation. Weeks ago, we spoke about the extremely unlikely chance of a non-coordinated critical infrastructure cyber attack that would bring any nation to a standstill. There are simply too many controls, too many contingency plans, too many individuals standing by to allow a merry group of pranksters to take down an entire country's electrical grid or water supply. But what about our farms? Though we all somewhat instinctively understand the value of farms, it feels like we never give them the significance they deserve. Our food comes from there. So, what cyber exploits are our farms vulnerable to? Today, to help us understand that, we're speaking to a noted cybersecurity researcher and hacker who, with the help of others, actually hacked into John Deere and Case IH, a brand from CNH Industrial, and then reported those vulnerabilities with mixed success. Our guest today goes online by the name Sick Codes, and so, Sick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. Great to be here. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you here. So let's just kind of get right into it. To start, right, I said at the top of the episode, these devices are becoming more connected. So I think it's important to understand just how connected modern agricultural equipment is. Can you describe the level of connectivity within these modern machines? Agriculture has evolved quite rapidly and like so rapidly that I didn't even know <laughs> the tractors were connected to the internet until literally the start of the research. But so we've gone from we've gone from literally you know petrol diesel and like you know can bus and just really rock solid um, mechanical equipment and then within the span of about five years they literally added all these type of sensors nodes cameras like uh, connectivity satellite Wi-Fi GPS NTRIP which is like a combination of like NTP and then GPS and things like that and then you've got all these different things. They literally dumped it all into the industry like it was like some sort of, yeah, it was like an arms race. That's what I called it, an arms race. And then every manufacturer, like if you think of it, every manufacturer, there's a lot of agricultural companies and a lot of people don't know that, but there's a ton of companies. They all had to make their own implementation of those 
those things. Some of them did it themselves, some of them outsourced it. But at the current time, like right now, I mean, we're literally about to touch autonomous farming and they haven't even solved the issues with where to store the data, who stores it, how safe is it, you know, like, is it encrypted at rest? Like none of this stuff was taken into consideration during the arms race, ongoing <laughs> arms race, yeah. So one, that sounds extremely concerning, um, but also, like you said, this they haven't solved, you know, where to store it, you know, whether or not it's encrypted at rest or in transit. How much data are we talking about here? Like how much data are these things producing and how much are they also, I guess, like relying on, like taking in? So the first word is a lot. Well, it's two words, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, like I'm talking a ton. Oh, no, more than that, it is a lot of data. I mean, it's like, You've got soil moisture. You've got the pictures of the crop that the new combines can take. You know, as you're harvesting, they take photos of the crop. They can see it. They can do moisture sensing. So all that data goes back. You've got petrol levels or fuel levels, I guess, depending where you, which part of the world you're from. Speed. You've got trajectory mapping, like efficiency. Like uh, what else would there be? There'd be. There's literally everything, like the height of the crop. Like there's there's so many things, like the the oil. There's Air pressure, there's like this literally does not does not finish. There's a sensor, sensor, sensor. And all of that data is just on the equipment. And so all that data, like where does it go? So it goes through the device straight into the gateway, which I'll talk about later, but it goes straight up into the cloud, or it gets stored on the device on like a memory card or something like that. Depends which manufacturer you're talking about, right? So some of the manufacturers have you know, SD cards, some of them have those like compact flash cards, I think they're called. Like, I've even seen one before because I think they were before I actually got into computers. But yeah, some, some of them use those old style compact flash cards and that data gets stored. Obviously, it's unencrypted. This was done maybe five years ago, like some of this stuff was created. And I mean, just created. But the thing is, like, one, what I will mention is they are redundant. Like, so tractors, like, obviously, they came from the Stone Age as opposed to coming from like nothing and then developing into a Facebook. They came from like gasoline engine, right? Yeah. And then they they added the technology after. They weren't a technology first company. They added the tech in. So they're already pretty redundant. Like, you know, if you if your tractor goes away from the cloud or it runs out of range or the, something dies for a little bit, it'll still wait a bit. It'll still store data. And then like once it gets back into range, I will give the industry that, okay? <laughs> so once it gets back into range, it'll just be bang, it'll upload it all. So um I do know a historical story, though, that one guy, he originally told me that he found a vulnerability in John Deere about 10 years ago. And I don't think I've told anyone this, but because he doesn't want to leak his name, and I think his father was like a farmer, et cetera, et cetera, and I don't really want to dox him really well that, but yeah. he reported a vulnerability to John Deere at that time that they were transferring data from the tractor, this is quite a while ago, through without SSL, straight up to the cloud satellite, I believe, as well. I'm not sure if it was just that, but it was definitely some type of connectivity, but it was sending data back fully unencrypted to anyone on the wire can just read all that data. And if you think about what data that is, that's like corn crop data and yield data, et cetera. And, yeah. and you know, how many bushels and stuff like that, which a bushels, I didn't even know what a bushel is until about a month or two ago, <laughs> which is hilarious. I literally didn't even know the difference between a combine and a tractor. I was like, oh, that's a combine. I thought they're all tractors. <laughs> It's quite funny, but yeah, obviously now I know a lot more than that. Like, yeah, my favorite thing is the forage harvester. So like that's like a yeah, it's got like blades out the front. They're like it looks like bay blades, like spinning discs, and it just shreds. Yeah, the back of the data. So so that data was getting posted to the cloud unencrypted, and apparently that got fixed 
I guess, when they implemented SSL. But that data, if somebody was to catch that data on the way out, they would be able to predict the price of corn. And corn's a commodity. You know, like it, it fluctuates daily. So imagine if you had all that data, you'd be able to make some serious money or you'd be able to like, oh, wow. you know, you start World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the thing. You could start World War Three with famine. Like that's that's the thing. You could start. I've never asked this question on the pod. I've never asked this question in my life, but you brought it up that it could lead to World War Three. And the question is, help me understand how we get to World War Three. So just imagine like you've got all these great farms which the US has and a lot of other countries like Brazil. Brazil has a huge, huge soy industry. Australia has massive, I guess, barley and sugarcane and stuff like that, all these industries. If you imagine all of those going offline in one day or just like worm went through all of those software and they're all they're all single point of failures, of course. <laughs> it's like everything's a single point of failure. I don't know if that makes everything is I don't know if that works, but yeah. All of those farms, imagine if they went off for like one day, which happened the other day during the Akamai thing, right? John D Operation Center was down for about 24 hours, I think it was. Yeah. So I think I mentioned to Kevin what would happen if the John Deere Operation Center went down. And he said there wouldn't be enough toilet paper in the Midwest to clean up the mess. And that's a literally, that's a quote from Kevin Kenny. And he, what he's saying there is that nobody could edit their tractors. Like they wouldn't know where their tractors are. And this is especially, you know, this is preemptive for autonomy is that if those clouds go down and they're not redundant enough, like the tractors technically are, then, you know, imagine you've got all these autonomous tractors running around. It sounds like a science fiction, but it's going to happen where you can't access your tractor. And I guess if it's, I don't know, they've obviously got the bills fail safe and things, but, and I don't know much about the autonomy side of the tractors yet, but I know a bit about AI, right? And, you know, people, people know quite a bit and things can go wrong. I mean, we've seen Tesla and stuff with autonomous cars. There are accidents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, exposing the farming industry to that type of accident, I don't think we can even imagine the type of problems that this can create yet. I wanted to move to the research you did, right? You looked into two companies here. You looked into John Deere and, again, this one company, Case IH. Really simply here, why the interest in those companies? So we looked at more companies, but... Some of them aren't fixed yet. One or two of them aren't fixed yet. One of them was like really boring vulnerability. They didn't really want to detract from the the huge ones that we had. It's kind of like, you know, you find like a like an SSL certificate missing. Like, yeah. why would you even mention it? It'd be like, <laughs> wouldn't even be worthy of, of bringing it on stage. But yeah, we <laughs> and those manufacturers, you know, they kind of got off scot-free, but they weren't exciting. They weren't, they were boring for us too. You know, like we're researchers doing this for free <laughs> in a way, you know, like we get like reputation, I guess, yeah. You know, people, people like, you know, we get, you know, cool stuff out of it. Sometimes swag and actually then John Deere actually offered me swag and I said, no, obviously, because I don't want them to know where I live. Was it like, was it like classic? Like it was like hats and stuff or like? Oh, it's like a hat, a t-shirt and a bag. I saw another one on LinkedIn. <laughs> this is funny because it was a private project before. And I think a guy, I think his name's Gai, Gai Ganesh or Gai Ganesh from India. He got like, I think got two sets of swag or one set of swag from John Deere. And um, this is when they went to the private, they had a private program. And I was the first researcher on that program, by the way. I got invited, I believe, I don't know if it makes sense, but I, I was maliciously invited. Like I already said, so So imagine you're doing like a vulnerability. So oh, it's one of the vulnerabilities. Like we had a username, enumeration vulnerability, where basically I could just send infinite requests to their, you know, when you type in the username and you're signing up for a service and it says like that username not available. This one was saying it like, I could do it unauthenticated. I could just send as many requests as I wanted. And as a proof of concept, 
I sent the Fortune 1000 and I got 20% back. And I was thinking to myself, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> and you would not believe the difficulty I had in telling them. Yeah, I mean, explain. Yeah, explain. What, what was it like? Tell me the story of that of that difficulty. So if my memory, it's been like around a few months now, but if my memory serves me right, I don't even remember how I got onto them. I think I emailed them first and they didn't reply. They had an old terms of service, which are now deleted, by the way, where I was acting under where it says like you need to send it to API support at deer.com, something or other. And that was their security team, API support at deer or something like that, .com. So I sent it there and I did get a reply and I was thinking for a few days, like this is, yeah, okay. And then I eventually found some page on their website that's called IT Consulting, the URL. It was IT Consulting and it was report a security issue. And I'm like, it's in a weird URL. It doesn't look yeah. like it's a, it looks like you're asking them for consultancy. And I'm like, I'm not interested in consultancy from John Deere, but I would like to report a vulnerability. So I sent it there and yeah, about a month I think it took and then it was eventually fixed. They implemented like, I think a five second delay. So like after you submit five requests, you get timed out, which is, you yeah. know, like a back off delay, which is perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not even a big vulnerability. Tons of websites have that, but yeah, it just, yeah, it just, you know, why not? It's not, it's not a CVE or anything. It's just like, why wouldn't you fix it? So is that, that like early research, is that what led you to what you said, like be maliciously invited or help me understand the timeline? Yeah. So, so I wasn't even logged in and I got that vulnerability. That was like the birth of all this, right? And then the next vulnerability was I signed up for a developer account for free. You just sign up, confirm your account, you're in. And then I was in the terminal manager adding equipment to my fake farm. I called it Zero Days and Co. It looks better on text, but it's like D-A-I-S-E and then like Integrity Drive, which is obviously a play on words of integrity, but yeah. looks funnier on paper. But yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds well, stupid on the, on the podcast. You can hear the words, but yeah. Everyone just it write it down, you know, write it down on yeah. paper as you listen to this. Yeah. It was E-N-T-E-G or something like that. Anyway, the second vulnerability was brutal, okay? This was like the worst IDOR, like, you know, indirect object reference, I believe, where you can request information that doesn't belong to you, okay? So, like, I could just send in requests for VIN numbers, which is like a vehicle identification number, obviously, but John Deere has the database of all those numbers, but they also include in that result the first name, the last name, the address line one, address line two, name of the farm, the... Wow. account, you know, age, how long it's been in service, who's the lease of the equipment, leasee or something like that, arrangement of the equipment, which I pertain to be financial data. And I didn't even realize that until later, but it was serving an absurd amount of information. And they obviously were not, they, yeah, I sent them an email about this one straight after the other one. I was like, this one is extremely, the other one was like a baby, right? This one was like, this is like a 10 out of 10, you know what I mean? Like for not, not a 10 out of 10 CVE, it's not even a CVE. It's just like if you sat there for a day and then just put in every fin, fin number from one to a thousand, one to infinity for every unit, you would have John Deere's database. And you could do that from developer accounts. So you sign up with a free developer account, you submit the requests, you get like all these responses back with all this data. And, I, and just for example, I went to a track the auction website and submitted, I think I downloaded all the listings for one type of tractor, sorry, one combine, the S790, which is like a million dollar combine. And I think I've got 180 something combines. That's $186 million worth of equipment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just was able to find out who owned all that equipment and where it was. And can you imagine that idea of knowing where every tractor is located? So you can find out how many tractors a farm owns. I mean, it's pretty hard because you've got to enumerate the whole list, but 
it is still massive leak of information, right? You shouldn't be able to yeah. see that. Yeah. Even to this day, they're still leaking the name of the tractor. It's sort of stupid. It's like if you put the tractor name as like, you know, they put the address or like, you know, this is the West West Areas tractor, whatever street, that would just, you can still see that. It's still leaking it. Yeah. They don't even care, okay? They don't care about that. I think they want it there. I believe they want that there for some reason. So after they fixed those vulnerabilities, I told them, yeah, look, I'd like to go public with these vulnerabilities. Would you guys want to do like a joint disclosure and, mm-hmm. and do like, a, you know, we shake, we shake, everyone shakes hands and like we do like a, you know, like a photo shoot. I like to call it like a North Korean border photo shoot. You know what I mean? Like you're just shaking hands at the border and you're like, everything's right. cool. And then sometimes it's not, sometimes it is, right? Yeah, I wanted to do that. I was like, yeah, that's fine. You don't even have to put me on the website, right? And I sent him a few examples. I sent him like links to like um, other bug bounty programs and things like that. Anyway, it took about three weeks to like, yep, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. And then they never said yes. And then randomly out of the blue, they said, oh, we'll have Hacker One tomorrow. And I'm like, uh, and I sent him an email. I sent him an email saying, I don't want to be in Hacker One. And then they invited me. And then you're in the NDA, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So can you explain for some folks what you mean? Like HackerOne is an account that's created, correct? Um, just help people understand how there's a relationship between that and why you would have to sign an NDA. What's going on there? So what happens with HackerOne is if you're invited to a private program, you're not allowed to talk about it and you risk losing your HackerOne account, which is annoying because I'd already told the vendor, I don't want to be invited. I'm like, I don't want to go to your HackerOne. I want to do a public. Yeah. And so then you get this sudden thing it's like getting a strike on youtube you know what i mean like they're saying you can't talk about this vulnerability anymore i'm like it's already solved why would we go through like a one just so you can shut me up literally all they wanted to do was just put a lock and a chain around my mouth it doesn't make sense look put like a (laughs) put like a piece of tape on my mouth right and i don't want to do that can we do it public Anyway, as soon as I got invited, it said on the uh, Hacker One program, created that day. And I'm like, okay, so I'm the first person. Ooh, yeah. I'm the only person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even funnier than that, right, is that while I was looking at the program, it said zero reports resolved, zero reports resolved. And then, and then like, as I was leaving, I looked at the videos that I recorded because I recorded all my research for like, so I can actually back myself up when they talk negatively. We'll talk about that later. But as I was leaving the program, it said one report resolved. So I think they were testing it. <laughs> While I was in there, so they literally launched it. They launched the program privately with yeah. no bounty, no bounty, full NDA. I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is the point of submitting a vulnerability there that's already fixed outside of Hacker One yeah. that would literally put my account at risk? It's beyond me, I think. And the problem is, like, who the, who the heck advised that? Like, was it Hacker One? <laughs> Whose idea was that? You know what I mean? And I actually had to ask Hacker One. I asked Hacker One and said, we've already solved all this house out of band. It's already fixed. I yeah. don't want to be in their program. Can I leave it? Right. Yeah. And they they, yeah, a few days they took to to reply back and they sent me back a big email saying, Look, we've looked into the issue and and you you're you are able to publicly disclose this vulnerability outside of Hacker One. And then as soon as I got that, I posted it within like five minutes. It's on a couple of news outlets, but yeah, but you go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, all the evidence, like you said, you were asking, like, whose decision was was that? And then why would that happen? And just for folks listening, all of the evidence points to that is a path to take to silence you, correct? Correct. It's NDA. And, and it's like shutting someone up. And yeah. researchers hate that. It's either research, you know, like, if there's researchers listening, right? Imagine getting invited to a brand new program on HackerOne, private program, but there's no bounty. I've never been invited to a private program with no bounty. What's the point? 
there's like literally no point. So either you get the you get the report out there, and you know everyone goes like awesome research. They learn from your research. That's important. They learn from what you've done and they take it into their own research. You know what I mean? Which is great for the community. Which right. yeah, they have no idea about the vendor. But then I don't know who was advising them. Was it them in house or was it Hacker One? I don't think it was Hacker One, but it may well have been. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I kind of want to point fingers. I wanted to go back to the vulnerabilities that you found, right? Because we were talking a lot, you were saying that like, look, this is a ton of information that should not be tied to this, should not be coupled up with this. And earlier, right, we we quietly invoked World War Three, And I, um, <laughs> I want to ask, what is the risk of the vulnerabilities you found uh, of that of that information being out? And like, like you said, you know, you could find you could find the locations of, you know, $168 million worth of combines. How does that lead to something else, though? Is it is this a strictly a privacy vulnerability, or is there are there implications where this could go beyond? This was round one. Sorry, I don't know if I made that clear, but this was round one. Yeah. As soon as this went public, Wabafet reached out Who's on a hacker, Twitter. Right? Yeah. yeah, which I met through this, and he's an awesome dude, and I respect mm-hmm. that guy a lot. And his buddy Dorka Devil and another guy, another guy who comes around every now and then. His name's Chief Cool Arrow. I don't think this is his real name, but neither are the other <laughs> ones. But yeah, so they they reached out. We just had a chat in Keybase. He's like, look at all these XSS XSS vulnerabilities that I found, like cross-site scripting vulnerabilities that I found on John D's website. And he said to them on Twitter, "Can I report it?" And they did the same thing. They sent him to the this NDA, and he left. He's like, "I'm not doing that." I said, "Cool, let's let's find more." Yeah. And then that's when that's when World War Three started. Technically, you know what I mean. Like that's when. Yeah. And what did that that group of folks? It was like five or six, I think. When you started digging around, what did you find then? So we, on top of the four four guys we already had, we contacted my buddy John Jackson, John J Hacking, and then he and Rejects, Robert Willis, I think his name is real life. Um, and then Hignio Wormer Ochoa, he came as well. And then there was Kelly Cota, she came later on, but. We all joined up and we like literally within two days, we had found a exposed machine book thing, which is a machine book is actually their demo unit booking software for like influencer YouTubers. They have literally a platform where you can go and like book units and it's staff only, staff use only, but it's fully public, like you know, response 200, which means, you know, public for anyone who doesn't know that it's fully accessible and it shouldn't be fully accessible. That's like ridiculous. It should be behind the single sign-on. And then we were able to inject that database too. So we pulled out around about, I think, the first 256 rows. I think SQL map pulls out. Good t- good tool, by the way, SQL map. That was the first time I used it, believe it or not, because I hadn't really done much injection. But yeah, we pulled out the rows. We could see employee emails and the times that they had the equipment and the serial numbers and everything. And can you imagine the phishing attacks you could pre- perform with that information? Like, hey, Terry from admin, you could send it from... You know, like you do all sorts of, it's social engineering, right? It's a little bit right. different, but you could say, hey, I know you've got the tractor book for right. 6 p.m. Wednesday. Right. Can you book it for tomorrow instead? And here's the link. And then bang, you got the whole org. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's so much verifiable information in there that's true that they would be like, oh yeah, this is, yeah, okay. This is uh, so-and-so, you know, this is my colleague. God, yeah, that is a level of specificity that I haven't seen. That's really granular. Imagine doing it through SMS, just oh like, hey, God, Terry, yeah. Yeah, like a random number. It's John from X's phone. Jane said, you had the tractor on Wednesday. Can you come on Tuesday and said, here's, here's the link for it. And then bang, you know what I mean? You've got the whole organization. Because I actually looked a few of the emails up. 
to verify that they were legitimate. And uh, some of them were like, you know, like serious people at the end. They weren't just sales reps or anything like that. They were like managers and stuff. And I'm thinking, hmm, always have blurred out all this information at DEF CON. But yes, yeah, such serious information. And they put out a statement. So this is preemptive, but we'll, actually we'll get back to the statement after this. But then we, do you want, I'll go to the next part, which is real quite funny, is then when we went to, we found their Pega server. So we found their Pega server next. I believe it's a chat system, but it has some sort of like SolarWinds-esque overarching yeah. over permissiveness. And that's my opinion only, okay? Don't, yeah. That's my opinion, okay? So I don't really <laughs> want to piece anyone off. Sorry, I don't really want to pee anyone off, but that's Pegasystems and John Jackson and, sorry, Regex, um, coupled with John and another guy called Breaker, they actually discovered the CVE that we use to actually get into John Deere's Pega. So that's actually quite yeah. funny. We have a private exploit. That's the danger of private exploits. I mean, two guys who use their own vulnerability with another group, which is all of us um, put together, were able to get into their Pegasystem server as admin, download all their single sign-on SAML keys. So like the certificates, the original encryption password, I believe, all the stuff that should be available, obviously in any way, shape, or form. I'm not sure if it's just like the robotics part, like the automation part, where it's like a bot that runs around the website and logs in, or it's the actual, you know, the the quintessential key that everything's based off but on the SAML side of it. I'm not a SAML expert. I'm not an IAM expert. I think you have to have a degree in IAM for some reason these days to do IAM because it's so complex, and that's probably why John Deere screwed up because they had IAM issues, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As in identity access management. That's extremely bad. That's the best way I can put it, you know? I, I'd like to say we say we we maxed out like we we maxed it. You know what I mean? There's not much else you can do because <laughs> like what else is there? We we found some other stuff, but like what else is there to do when you have the single sign-on keys? I believe I, I'm not 100 sure, right? So I'm they're not the keys, right? They shouldn't be there, but they are single sign-on keys, right? I don't know if they are the ones that let you access everything. They could be because I think some apps they do have one like major key, and then Okta they have Okta as well, right? Yep. And we got those keys too, obviously. And we had all the legacy API single sign-on keys. So we had, I think we had too many keys, right? We had more keys than we can dream of. We had like <laughs> the expiry dates for like 2029 or something like that, or 2045. Oh. Just yeah. bizarre things. And, that. and actually, guess what? I looked, this is new information, but I looked up some of the names. Mm-hmm. So just to verify that the certificates were real. And I looked up that issue on the certificate, on the single sign-on export we got from the Pega chat systems, exploit that we used so the cbe and pega like it allows you to export like a, t- a trove of information right? and that information we got out of that information names of people who issue the certificates and i looked them up at linkedin and one guy actually works for pega so like pega i don't even think john d even knew that their keys were like leaked or well, first of all they didn't know that we had a private export for, for pega and second of all we're allowed to because we have the cbe for it and it's already cbe and they're still running the old version right now, which is stupid. So Pega actually created the key for them. And I looked the guy up on LinkedIn and he's like, it's a Pega employee based in India who does the IAM for John Deere globally, I believe. Or something or other. Yeah, they outsourced yeah. to Pega and then something outsourced to another. That's an opinion as well, by the way. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to get into any tr- issues, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because yeah. um these are big companies, you know what I mean? And you know, we're trying to help them. And that was one of the things I actually I'll mention now is it's a big right to repair thing at the moment, right? Accessing a tractor and and who should control the data and and the cybersecurity risk. And there are massive risks, which obviously, as you can see, you know, a group of less than 10 people 
were able to pretty much get root on John Deere's operation center, which connects to every other third-party connectivity service they have. You know, you can get every every farm's data, every farm's, you know, water, you know, everything. I'm talking everything. We had like the keys to the kingdom, right? So that was just like a few people in two days. Imagine if it was like a, a state-sponsored hacker team or crew or, or even just a massive thing. It would be like, they were probably in there first. That's an opinion as well, but <laughs> no, you know what I mean? But it was publicly accessible, to be fair. So some of it was publicly accessible, not the Okta stuff, but the, the machine book was publicly accessible. And I would not be surprised if people had looked at it before. How did it go when you tried to report these these this second round of vulnerabilities? Yeah, the second round, we just went through CISA. So we just sent it to ICS Cert and said, uh, I reached out to Paul Roberts, buddy of mine from Security Ledger, and asked him about if he could connect me with someone at ICS to send it through or if he thinks it's a good idea. Well, he recommended it actually, I think. And then he, and then I asked him if I could connect with someone there. And he did actually connect this and then it turned into something quite serious <laughs> quite quickly. Because basically within about a week of that starting, JBS Foods was ransomware. During this whole thing, it was like, like it looks like, you know what I mean? Like it's like timing is, is ridiculous. It's like, a, and I asked Kevin, I said about the JBS things real quick, is that there's physical implications. Like trucks would be sitting at the depot waiting to put livestock into the process mm-hmm. and they're just sit, sitting, sitting there standing. You know what I mean? There's like real implications yeah. and this urgency, this severe urgency in all of this. And we literally just sent it straight through to ICS because we just, yeah, we'd had enough of it. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of boring. Like we did a month of this. I had it like just on your last note as well. I didn't even logged in to find the verse vulnerability. It wasn't like a CVE, but the, the username enumeration one, you don't even need to log in. You don't even need a cookie. Just send requests, right? And that took a month to get fixed. So I said, look, I'll send you to ICS Cert. And then what actually ended up happening was ICS Cert made food and agriculture a priority. And then JBS Foods hit. And then there was executive order. It was like everything just fell into play. It was really weird. I don't know if I was part of it, but I feel like I was maybe a part of it. Yeah, it sounds like there were just a lot of planets aligning to make this be taken as seriously as it should be, because I don't think planets should have to align for this to be taken seriously in a simple way. There's one thing I will mention as well. Like John Deere is now the market leader of cybersecurity in ag because they're the only one with a hacker one. <laughs> they don't know, like they don't know this, but they'll, you know, like we don't know what we know until we know. You know what I mean? But yeah. in the future, they'll think, oh, that was actually a really good event. Now we have a hacker one and we're like number one in cyber. And they've even got in there. They've got it on their homepage, like, and I give them like I'm not against them or anything. Like, I don't have any grudges against companies whatsoever. I just really love seeing the way the companies respond differently. It's kind of weird, but like, it's like absurd. Like, it's not absurd. It's like interesting to see companies in the same industry respond completely different to the same thing. Like Case IH, I had to call them. I think I called them like 15 times, and I left I left messages like saying like, "Can you connect me with someone?" and like, or some email that I can send it to. And they were so rude. It was not funny. They were like, there's no one here to help you. I had the phone calls, but I've actually asked. I'm trying to confirm with the EFF it's okay to publish the phone calls. But they're saying like, there's no one here to help you. Like, we can't connect you with anyone. And you just have to go through the website. I'm like, I said, I already already submitted a request to the website one week ago. And I don't want to submit a vulnerability to the support team. The vulnerability has to go to the security team because there's a lot of people at that organization, like every organization. Like John Deere actually asked me to send it their social media email address when I asked them on Twitter. And I'm like, they're not doing that anymore. Obviously, they learned their lesson. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like they actually do, they actually are maturing. 
they don't do that anymore. They've got a hacker okay. one. You know, they've got like 80 something reports in, in the play on hacker one, I think last time I checked. And they don't have any bounties, which is crazy. But I don't know why they have no bounties, but they should really like if John, do you feel listening? Put bounties on your on your program. It's embarrassing. Ford does it too. I don't know why. I don't know why these companies do it, but I believe there's some sort of other thing reason. It's like some sort of deal. I don't know what it is, but it's managed or something like that. Do you know more about it? I don't know about Ford's specific programmer or John Deere's. I'm not entire. Right. Yeah. So that's what I was going to try and say. I, I'm not 100% surprised because in my mind, they they might be relying like on like a third party provider, right? Like a program provider. And that provider might just be bad. Like, again, I don't know anything about it. I'm not trying to say like, oh, yeah, they are, you know, for a fact using this, you know, like new service or this unsupported service. But it, it is interesting that you bring this up because I spoke with a so with Katie Masuris on our most recent podcast, which came out just yesterday, and she had a devil of a time with disclosing a vulnerability, uh, reporting a vulnerability to that app Clubhouse, which is like what was really popular. I don't know if it still is. And she said that a core failure, right, that she found was that they had hired this other service and that that service had not come to an agreement with how much a vulnerability of a certain level should be paid out. And she was like, that should be figured out in hiring them, in drafting up the contract. And she was like, it's it's really weird that, you know, this thing this that, that you can ascribe a level to of severity doesn't have a dollar amount attached to it. And she said it was this uh, this difficult part, part where she had to publicly disclose about it and then say, you know, as of publishing, I don't know how much money is going to go to this charity that I have elected in lieu of me getting the money myself. And she made it sound like that was extremely frustrating. And I wonder if that's just kind of happening, you know? Like, it, it maybe, yeah, it's not like we're not paying on purpose. Maybe it's like we don't know what to pay people. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and I love Katie as well. She's awesome. And we've spoken about this as well, about whether we think we had a space together, a Twitter space. I don't know if that's still around, but it's it's pretty fun, actually. We had a Twitter space together. We talked about the John Deere versus the Clubhouse thing. I think it was ages ago. But just because it was like on release day, and the and the reason was that like if you think about Clubhouse, they were literally brand new. They probably hadn't even set up everything. They probably you know, if, you know all the offices set up or the printers. Like there's a lot of things they probably hadn't set up yet. You know what I mean? And then one of them is the bug bounty pro- properly. I think a bug bounty should not be allowed to go out without bounties. The reason is the name bug bounty <laughs> has the word bounty in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a bug program. Yeah, it's just a bug program and you do it for free. Yeah. And what's the point of that? And why would you enter NDAs about that? Like, why would you enter an NDA on a bug blank? It's just absurd. I wanted to go back here because so many of the things I've heard about are, you know, vulnerabilities get found fast and they get fixed slow. And because I've heard so many things on this episode, on past episodes that like fixing cybersecurity is kind of broken. I wanted to just ask you, like, why do you think that is? Why Why is there such a variance? So as a contrast, I just released a Brave CVE yesterday and I've submitted two for Brave before and they were fixed within hours. And then the first one was like fixed, pushed to master, released out to the wild and then it was fixed within like a day. And it was like public and it was bang, it was done. And you just need talent. Like that's run by Yan, um, who goes by Bcrypt on Twitter. Yan is like, Yan runs the whole thing. It's just like, bang, 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 that's it, done, bang. It's like awesome. You know what I mean? Whereas this is like some of the companies that we deal with is like, 
it's like a dumpster fire every time something like this happens. It shouldn't be like that. It's supposed to be a good event. Like, thank you. And, you know, I've dealt with SAP and they're awesome. SAP has like a wall of fame. They have like a wall of fame. You get on it. You get, you get they, they do it all for you because it's all CNA is what they're a CNA and they just take care of it. And then they just credit you and it's awesome. You get like a backlink on their like wall, you know, the wall of fame and you get all this, you know, looks good. Whereas some companies yeah. just try to go out there and do negative PR against you. That's literally what happened. John Deere literally made stories to, to discredit our research. They said that it never happened. There was no PII. So I don't know if PII includes first name, last name, you know, lease agreement stuff. Is that sensitive? PII or is that PII? I don't know. Interestingly enough, we define it differently based on the state, believe it or not. So like each state has their own interpretation. A lot of the states mirror one another's, but often it is a minimum, like first name, last name, coupled with something else. So first name, last name with like obviously like a driver's license, social security number, credit card number, credit card number. And then it's like, okay, it's not it's not PII if it's just your account name for like a banking for like a banking website. It also has to be the password. But from what you told me, I think if you have something like address and first name, last name, I think that that coupling happens. And from my understanding, that's that's PII. But at the same time, I think you bring up a really good point here, which is it's actually up to the people. Like it's actually like the state can tell me like, oh, well, David, sorry, you know, your first name, your last name, your middle name and, and your address. Sorry, you know, that's uh, that's not PII. And I can be like, uh, actually, that absolutely is. I care about that information. I care about that data. And I think you're right that it's up to the farmers, but we don't have that setup. A lot of companies see the data every day. So they, they look at it, they get used to it, they get accustomed to the, what they've they've got. And John Deere is probably used to seeing all this data all day. John Deere has the data and they don't know what it's worth. You know, that data is so valuable to, to foreign nations, to local, to like the one with Case, right? we didn't even mention Case. Case was a Java Melody server with the session IDs listed and we could just log in as anyone. We could literally just put the cookie in and then bang, we're off. And that was the whole of Brazil. I think we, the max we saw was like 40 users on at once or something. That's like 40 farming operations like of soybeans and I don't know how it works in Brazil, but I assume there's some sort of like farms that are very big there, consolidated, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we could just log in and see all the data. We didn't actually log in, but what we did do is accidentally, we were testing all the buttons on the Java Melody to see if it was legitimate. And one of them was like, I won't get into it. It was like a kill process or all that, but it worked. The button worked. It came back on later. It was quite funny. Actually. Yeah. Came up within five minutes, actually. There was no downtime, allegedly. Mm-hmm. But that was fine. I mean, that was all in good faith. They fixed it. And we also, I will mention, we mentioned, we got all these companies, once we had dealt with them, we sent them to ICS Cert and then ICS Cert, who are awesome, by the way, they're non-regulatory. They're not like, they're, not, they're just strictly cyber and they just want to help. They don't care about how many skeletons you have in your closet. Yeah. All they want to do, and everyone has them, right? Even you and me, maybe. I don't know. And they literally just want to help you patch. They did solar winds, I think, before. That's what they, that was a sales pitch to me when they, when that first engaged me because of uh, what I mentioned to Paul. But they run the CBU program, right? They're the root CNA for ICS, yeah. which is, you know, you've got MITRE and then you've got ICS mm-hmm. Cert, which funds it all anyway, I believe, anyway. So that's they're pretty much the root. And yeah, so I was submitting, you know, companies like Case and John Deere to go onto the CBU program. John Deere declined. John Deere was in talks and they left the conversation. They're like, John Deere has left the conversation, the chat. You know what I mean? Like wow. literally said, we have no further comment. Imagine wow. telling the ICS uh, that you no longer <laughs> want to talk to them when they're trying to get you to become a CNA. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you go. <sighs> like Adobe, Apple, 
a Boeing, you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you want? Why wouldn't you want to be on that list? Yeah, I the only like analog I can think of it is like if you know that there's something wrong with you, and like you go to a doctor, and they tell you, they give you all the advice you need, and they're like really helpful, and they don't care about like you said the skeletons in the closet. They don't care about if you yeah, like smoking. You know, yeah. They're just like, okay, let's do this. And then you go, eh, nah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, I, I, I smoke from time to time, every hour. No, I'm joking. I, I'm a smoker, right? So, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I'm smoking. Well, I think all hackers are smokers. That's very bad. <laughs> Some hackers are smokers. Yeah. Nicotine. <laughs> so, like, imagine telling the government they're not trying to help you. They're not trying to, like, go over the books. They just want to get you on the program so that you can, like, be the point of call and take some responsibility for your action. It's not, not actually, but like have a point of call. And instead they went just bang, hack one. It doesn't make sense to me. It, I don't know where it is. And the negative PR against our research yeah. is absurd, right? They hired a company called Edelman to do oh, yeah. their PR. Yeah. That's a big PR. Right. Yeah. Apparently it's the same one as Microsoft allegedly and yeah. vice and vice and, you're allowed to mention third party use things on your podcast, but Vice and Security Ledger both received comment back from the which was verbatim. It was exactly the same comment, and it was that we no PI like the statement that they said was discrediting our research. And I don't know how you can discredit a DEFCON talk with like videos. It's over ten thousand views now at the time of recording, and a lot of people have seen it in the industry. And I know for a fact that the like. And I don't feel like, like I know important people in, in parts of the agricultural chain. I know them. I'm saying I know that they have watched it and they understand the risks. And that's what Johnny doesn't say yet is we're trying to help them. That's the end of the game. Like end of the day, we're actually trying to help them. They've got a program now. They're on the right track. You know, companies that we work, we engaged a couple other companies that didn't want to mention them, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. But, you know, they joined the CBE program. You know, they're ready to go and ready to take responsibility for cyber. It's like, why wouldn't you do that? And they said, no, maybe I'll tell them again, but I recommend they should do it. Sick. I just wanted to wrap up here and thank you again for being on our show today. No worries, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Of course. If you want to follow me, yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, you just sick sick codes or Google, you can find all my stuff. I've got a Discord too now, actually, and a Slack, but and a Telegram. (laughs) Just so if people want to reach out. You're very findable. Well, I actually just created them all because like, you know, I just realized, you know, people people come on Slack and they're like, they don't have Discord or Discord, they don't have Slack and all this stuff oh, like yeah. that. And then just created all of them and people just drop in and ask questions about all my, all my GitHub stuff because I do a lot of developing there. But right. anyway, thanks for having me on, man. It was like awesome. Cool to talk about this stuff as well. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, the audience, I guess, will totally understand it. And if they weren't at DEF CON, if they want to recap it or if they didn't watch it, yeah, it's on YouTube. So Yeah, I highly recommend everyone watch it on YouTube, the DEF CON video. It's short, it's succinct. And like, Every minute, there's like a, oh, that shouldn't be able to be done. (laughs) It was 20 minutes and then the 20 minute slot and I actually made the video 28 minutes and they just let it through because it was like, apparently it was a good, uh, personally, I think it was pretty good. It was like, what's the word for like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I liked it. I liked making it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Personally, it's, yeah. yeah, You're allowed to say, you're allowed to like the things you make. (laughs) I liked the talk that I made. Yeah. And it was 28 minutes, like jam-packed full of stuff and riveting like shocking a few people which shocked a lot of people who didn't even know that sort of thing was possible 
it shocked me to be honest which is why seriously i do recommend everyone look up the defcon presentation online so just go to youtube type in defcon d-e-f-c-o-n sick codes john deere and uh, you'll find it to our listeners at home We'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with Matt Crape about exactly why backups are so hard to get right. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. <laughs>